0: You're listening to The Road with Pastor Teacher Steve Holt.
1: We need a rebaptism and a refilling and a refiring of the Holy Spirit. It is Pentecost Sunday, and some of you have never been filled with the Holy Spirit. Some of you have never gotten saved. You've never truly given in your life, Lord. And you're a churchgoer occasionally when your parents make you come. But you know, you're a churchgoer, but you're not a Christ follower. Going to church doesn't get you to heaven any more than going to McDonald's makes you a hamburger. So church should be a reflection of a desire and a passion in our life to worship God because we love him, right?
0: At The Road, our mission is to empower people to change the world. For more information on The Road, visit theroad.org. We hope you are encouraged by today's message from pastor-teacher Steve Holt.
1: Okay, jot this down. If you're a note taker, I want you to jot this down. Before a great awakening, there's often a rude awakening. Jot that down. Before there's a great awakening, there's often a rude awakening. That's what we're in right now, gang. We are in a rude awakening in our country. And this COVID-19, coronavirus thing, um, oh, by the way, we don't have kids ministry yet. And so I just want to say awesome to all the kids that are in here. We love you. My grandchild just came up and gave me a big hug. And then my grandson wanted to go play I'm going to get you. And so what that is, is when he, whenever they come over, I always say I'm going to get you. And then he runs away. And then I chase him all over the house. And he wanted to do it all over the sanctuary. So... Isn't it great? I mean, I think it's great. You know, at Pentecost, they didn't have a children's ministry, right? I mean, at Pentecost, everybody was together, and the Holy Spirit fell on everybody. So this is Pentecost Sunday, 2,000 years later, and He wants to fall on any of you that want Him to fall on you. He will. He's there for you. But during this whole coronavirus thing, we had this, you know, we had this quarantine. And what God did in my life during the quarantine was instead of doing church work... I found myself doing heart work. And I had so much more time to seek God. And God began this work in my life through hours and hours and hours daily in his word. And and during that time, I began to ask God, Lord, what do you want to do in my life? And what do you want to do at the road? This is weird. This is a strange thing. We've never seen anything like this in my lifetime where everything is shut down. So you're doing something. I don't want to miss it. I don't want to miss what you're doing, what you're allowing to be done in the fourth dimension, in the heavenly realm. And so during that time, God began to speak to me about some prophecies, some words that God had given years before. Three years ago, we had on, um, I think it was April 17th, no, it was April 30th, 2017, we merged Chapel Hill's church With the road, it became the road at Chapel Hills. And I was right here in this seat, and Barb Gilzon came up to me. She gave me a word from Haggai, and so I looked it up. And this was several words that I had about the road, and I'm I'm looking at this, and then I noticed above it I'd written another date, which was six months later, a guy that I had never met before and I've never seen since, who came up to me during a service and gave me, six months later, Almost the same passage, but two verses more. And I'm going to read it to you in just a second. So I'm sitting there, I'm meditating on this. And I'm going, whoa, this is phenomenal, what God's saying. And it was in the book of Haggai. I mean, who, who reads Haggai? I mean, nobody reads Haggai. I mean, I know it's in the Bible and you read through the Bible. You do Haggai in like five minutes. It's just two little chapters. So I began to dive in two months ago. and For two months, I've been in Haggai. And it's been a powerful time. And so so what I'm going to do is I'm going to leave Matthew. You that are new to our church, we normally go chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And we've been in Matthew on on a kingdom revolution. That's been the thing, a kingdom of God revolution for 31 weeks. We've been in Matthew. Well, I'm going to leave it, I was going to say for two weeks. That's what I said in the first service. But we only got the first two verses in. So it's probably going to be three weeks. But we're going to go just three weeks, two or three weeks here in Haggai. And I think God's got a word for us. I am not a prophet. I'm just a pastor teacher. I'm not a prophet. But this is a prophetic word. This is your pastor teacher, the underling senior pastor, small s, small small p pastor, under Jesus, who's the capital S and capital P, senior pastor, speaking to me, to you, about something that God wants to do in our day that is going to rock your world. Listen to what I'm going to say next. There is a revolution coming. In the next four years, America is not going to look the same. Listen to what I'm saying. It's either going to be a satanic revolution ...or a kingdom of God revolution. The choice actually is up to the church. Now I believe in the sovereignty of God. I'm as, I'm as Presbyterian as you can come in my theology about the sovereignty of God. But I don't get it. I know a lot of places in scripture where it seems like it depends on what people do... ...that determines the future. Here's where I think the, here's, here's where I think the, the juxtaposition is... Is that God knows what we're going to do. We don't know what we're going to do. But he knows what we're going to do. And I believe he wants to position the road. To be a beacon light. And a light on a hill. To this city. And to our county. To our country. In a way that's probably. Something none of us can imagine. I know I can't. But I know he wants to do it. Because as you look at what happened last night. Downtown. You look at what happened in Denver last few nights. You look at what's happening in Columbus, Ohio. You look at what's happening in Atlanta. You look what's happening in L.A. They're calling the National Guard. Minneapolis calling the National Guard. Denver calling in the National Guard. Revolution is in the air. And either the revolution that is happening right now will lead to greater enslavement and captivity... Or I believe God wants to bring a revolution way bigger, way greater, way more magnificent than we've ever seen before on the face of the earth. And Haggai is talking about that. So let me give you a little bit of background about Haggai. Okay, so don't turn there. But you you guys go to Haggai because it might take you 15 minutes to find it. But (laughs) it it did me. Um, But I want to start actually in Ezra. And if you're taking notes, many of you do, you can just write down Ezra 3-6, put down Ezra 3-6, that's the background. That's your background for Haggai, because here's what happened. Let me give you a little history behind this. Um, Daniel, book of Daniel. Daniel is the prime minister slash uh, probably chief counsel for Nebuchadnezzar. And in Daniel chapter 5, this this strange thing happens where a hand, you guys remember the story of the hand? The hand just kind of comes out of nowhere and it writes a message and nobody can figure it out. And it seems like that's where Daniel's mightily used. Daniel always gets called in by a dream or a vision, in this case handwriting on the wall, because he's seen as a seer. He's seen as a seer. You guys know what a seer is? A seer is someone who sees. So, So a seer is a seer is a prophet. So he was seen as this prophetic, seer, Jewish guy that was really smart, real administratively smart, organizationally smart. So they bring him in, and he basically says to, ne- to Nebuchadnezzar, Man, you're, thrown, you're done. You're just done because you've used the articles that were once in the temple of Solomon for your own glory. You've taken glory to yourself. God, God's done with you. And that's that crazy because when you read it, he tells him that. And then the king, I don't know what, he might not have been playing with a full deck, but... He, he actually elevates and praises Daniel when he, Daniel just said, you're about to get sacked. So kind of strange. But at the same time, what you don't know is that the Persians were moving in. And at that chapter, it doesn't say it, but the Persians move moving in. It just says in one chapter, and, and, and it just says there's a change of administration. It talks, about, it talks about Darius the Mede coming in. And many believe Darius the Mede is another name for a guy named Cyrus. And Cyrus came in as a great ruler of the Persians. And what's, what's really strange about Cyrus, and it's the reason he's called Cyrus the Great, was because here he is, he's this absolute pagan um, ruler over Persia who lets all the different religions worship God the way they want to. And specifically, he comes in, and here's the, and here's the, the legend. It's just a legend. The legend from Josephus, the Jewish historian is that 10 days after Cyrus took over, Daniel sits down with him and opens up the scroll of Isaiah 44 and 45. In Isaiah 44 and 45 and in Daniel 25, it says that Cyrus, that's his name, given 100 years before, a guy named Cyrus would become king and he would be used by the God of heaven and earth to bring the Jews Back to Jerusalem to rebuild that temple. And Cyrus, who's not a believer, goes, yes, I dig it. Let's do it. And then here's what's crazy. He takes all the gold and silver and all the precious uh, things that have been taken out of Solomon's temple. And he gives them back to the Jews and says, take it back and rebuild your temple. Crazy, right? So here's, here's what Cyrus says. And this is found in Ezra chapter 1. Just listen to me. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah, speaking of Jeremiah 25, might be fulfilled. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all of the kingdoms and he put it into writing. And this is called the Edict of Cyrus. Thus says Cyrus the king of Persia, the Lord God of heaven has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem. Is that crazy or what? Not even a believer, not Jewish, which is in Judah. Whoever is among you of all this people, may his God be with them and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. He is the God who is in Jerusalem. And so some 49,000 Jews go back. They start to rebuild. And Ezra 3 takes you through what happens. They build an altar. Then they set up daily worship. Then they set up the feast days. And then they build the foundation for the temple. So they're going to build this foundation. And then guess what happens? The government, led by the Samaritans, come against them and they stop having worship. Sound familiar? And they, and they, they basically retreat out of, out of fear. And so they quit building. They stop building. And the Samaritans, you guys, were Jews who had intermarried with Assyrians. So they were kind of a half-breed. And so they didn't want to see this temple rebuilt. They didn't want to see the power of the Jewish nation back in Jerusalem. They liked the way it was. And the Jews all just backed off and said, okay, I guess we can't do it now. Well, then a guy named Haggai comes on the scene. And Haggai only prophesized for four months. Only for four months. But his prophecy is huge. His prophecy is, guys, let me just say this. I would call him shoe-leather prophet. Jot that down. Haggai is a shoe-leather prophet. When you read Isaiah, man, it is poetry. It's beautiful. It's It's about the coming Messiah. Some of those beautiful passages, you know. If you like Handel's Messiah, that's straight out of Isaiah. It's gorgeous. Jeremiah is the weeping prophet, and he cries out for repentance. But Haggai is... Get to work, prophet. Quit talking about it. Quit thinking about it. Get to work. So he's a shoe leather prophet. So turn to Haggai chapter 2. And we're going to go verse by verse through Haggai. But I want you to see the theme. I want you to understand the theme in Haggai. And these are the prophetic words that God gave me three years ago. And I believe they are so prophetic for today, you guys. I mean, this is crazy what's happening in our country right now. And just, and just two months ago, God was speaking this. Three years ago, God was speaking this. This is the theme. If you look at any commentary, like I'm using one of my study Bibles, the Spirit filled Life study Bible that I like to use. Um, it's got notes and everything. It says that the theme of Haggai is rebuilding the temple. I want to give you a different theme. I think the theme for Haggai right now in our time is he's going to shake the nations to bring a great harvest. Shake the nations to bring a great harvest. Or, or another way to look at it, God wants to rebuild the church. I don't believe, Here's how me say this. I believe God loves the church because who's the church? You're the church. So he loves us. We are, we are a nation of prophets and kings and priests. We're called by God to be that. Whether we're living it or not, that's who you are. But I don't believe he's satisfied. With where the church in America is at. He loves the church. I love the church. Man, I love Catholics. I love Methodists. I love Episcopalians. When we had the pastors gathering um, a a week ago, you know, there was was Catholic priests there. There was an Anglican guy there. There was Evangelicals. There were Pentecostals. There was everybody. About, I think it was 84 of us in this room. Some had clerical collars. Some had ties. And some looked weird like me. But anyway, they were all in there, right? And I love them all. We were talking about reopening our churches and who was going to do it, who was. It was a great meeting. But you guys, God loves the church way more than we do. It's a pretty messed up institution in many ways. Okay? But God's not done with the church. Our best days are before us. Best days are before us. God wants to move. So look at what he's saying to us, I believe, in our time right now. Verse 6. So Haggai 2, verse 6. For thus says the Lord of hosts, once more, and it is a little while, I will shake heaven and earth, the sea and dry land. I will shake all nations. Circle that. If you have a physical Bible like that, you ought to circle. Shake all nations. And they shall come. Don't miss this. They shall come to the desire of all nations. Circle that. And I will fill This temple with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine. The gold is mine, says the Lord of hosts. The glory of this latter temple shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, says the Lord of hosts. Men and women, God did not shake all the nations during World War I. It's called World War I, misnomer. It was really the European American War. God did not shake all the nations in World War II. Except for North Africa, almost all of Africa was untouched. Almost all of South America was untouched. Almost all of Latin America was untouched. And we could go all the way around the globe of untouched areas. But through COVID 19, through the coronavirus, all of the nations are being shaken. If you were to make a phone call to sub-Sahara Africa right now, they're shut down. If you call London, they're shut down. If you, call, uh, if you call Moscow, they're shut down. If you call India, they're saying in India, you can see the Himalayas. You can see for the first time in most people's lifetime, Mount Everest. Because the pollution of India and China has been shut down. Because they really believe in global warming. So when I was in, I was in Nepal doing a pastor's conference a number of years ago, I took a plane. I rented a plane. I flew up. I wanted to see. I wanted to fly right over Mount Everest. And we're flying along, and you can't see it, and you can't see it. You know, it's they, they, they said, well, it's because of smog and stuff. And then right when we got there, it opened up, and we got to see it and get, get some pictures and stuff. It was really cool, but it's because of smog. So everything shut down, gang. I'm willing to wager, and you that are more historically minded than me, maybe I'm missing something, but I cannot think of anything that I know in history where the entire globe, economically, socially, and in every way, has been so impacted by one thing. Listen, God is shaking the nation's To bring people to the desire of the nations. So we were watching the demonstrations the last few nights. And I'm looking at these demonstrations and I'm looking at the the news anchor interviewing people. There's no old people out there. There's no old people like me out there. It's young people. It's young people. Somebody has captured their imagination to believe in something that they're willing to go out and do dumb things for Because, here's the deal, everybody has a desire for God. Jeremiah says he's put put eternity in our hearts. These young people, this generation, want to believe in something. They interviewed this one guy. I saw him and he, he took his mask off and his hoodie back. And he's talking and he says, we're starting a revolution. And we're coming to the suburbs next. Sounds like an organizer. Revolution is coming in the next four years. And it will be either a revolution of the kingdom of God. Or it will be a socialist Marxist revolution. Now bear with me. I'm going to go out on another limb this morning. I believe there's two great movements. Happening that are satanic. In our world today. One is radical Islam. From 9-11, we began to learn about radical Islam. Uh, Many of us never knew much about it. Some of us in the mission field were more aware of it than others. For the last 45 years, in most of your colleges, you've been taught socialist Marxist doctrine, young people. It's been cloaked in all kinds of flowery language about equality and stuff. But at the end of the day, much of it, not all of it, but much of it is socialist Marxist doctrine. They don't teach the Constitution anymore. Most people don't even know what the Bill of Rights is, and they're graduates from college. What's the similarity? Marxism is by its very nature atheistic. Islam, by its very nature, is monotheistic. So why would I put the two together as a move of Satan? Let me explain. Marxism believes chaos will bring, quote, the design of the prime mover. According to Ludwig von Mises, quote, Marxism is a revolutionary doctrine. It expressly declares that the design of the prime mover will be accomplished by civil war. The liquidation of all dissenters will establish the undisputed supremacy of the absolute eternal values. It is a device known and practiced from time immemorial. Kill the infidels. Burn the heretics. What is new is merely the fact that today it is sold to the public under the label of science. Radical Islam believes chaos will bring the Mahdi. The Messiah of Islam. Joel Rosenberg writes, radical Islam believes. Now I'm, about, I'm not talking about Islam itself in the sense of those that are moderately Islam. I mean that's, that's a religion. Not everybody's radical. So I'm speaking here. of Radical Islam believes that the Mahdi will come only when the world is engulfed in chaos and carnage. They openly vow not simply to attack but to annihilate the United States and Israel. Iran and ISIS are both eager to hasten the coming of the Mahdi. Chaos, anarchy is in the air. And either we will succumb to what I believe is a revolution of satanic power or we will revolutionize this country with the kingdom of God. And it's up to the church. It's up to the church. Listen, guys. Satan can't create anything. Satan cannot create anything. He only counterfeits God's stuff. You hear what I'm saying? So when you look at Genesis 1, great example, and I'm, I'm of a believer of the gap theory. How many have ever heard of the gap theory? Anybody heard of the gap theory? Okay. Got a believer out there. Most theologians do not believe in the gap theory, so I'm totally cool with being out there a little bit. But the gap theory is that there's a gap between Genesis 1.1 1, 1 and Genesis 1.2. And what that is, is that God, in time immemorial, went into a battle. We know this in Revelation with the dragon, Satan. He was cast to the earth. So Satan was cast to the earth. This is before the creation. Listen now, it's before the creation. And so when you read in Genesis 1.1 1, 1 and 1.2a 1, that the earth was void that word void has, can be translated that it was in disarray or it was in chaos. And then God, the hovering of the Spirit, comes across the waters. And what happens? God begins to create the light. God begins to create the plants. God begins to create the animals. Here's the point. The point is, all that Satan can ever do is take something that's ordered and create chaos. He can't create. He creates. He destroys. He steals he kills and he destroys. Everybody know that? John 10, 10. He still kills. That, that's his MO. That's his mission. That's what he does. If your life is in chaos most of the time, then you probably have given yourselves over to demonic powers that are ruining your life. I'm not talking about chaos sometimes. That's life. Get married and you know what I'm talking about, okay? So you have chaos sometimes. I'm talking about on a regular basis, you are, you are living constantly in chaos, you need to make a pretty major change or you're headed for death. If not physical death, you're headed for spiritual death. You're probably already spiritually dead. Okay, but here's what God does. God takes chaos and void and he starts creating order. He starts ordering your life. It's amazing. How many of you who have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ would say that before you knew Christ, it was pretty chaotic and since you've come to know Christ, it's getting a little more orderly? And you that aren't raising your hand, you need to, you know, spend some time with Jesus in the Bible. Because he can do that. He does. He, he takes your void and, he, and your chaos and he brings order. That's what he does. Now, Satan is a counterfeiter, right? So if Satan is on the move to bring a revolution like that young 20-something-year-old said in, in Minneapolis in that interview two nights ago then that must mean he's counterfeiting something God wants to do. God wants to bring a kingdom revolution. And I'm telling you, men and women, I believe it's going to way eclipse anything that happened with the Jesus movement in the 60s and 70s. So I'm reading a book, great book by Calvary Chapel called uh, The Harvest. Old book, written in 86, I think. I read it every year. If you look it up, you won't find any new ones. You have to get old ones. But you read it, and it's a story of guys like Greg Laurie and Mike McIntosh and all these guys that were total just like podheads, dopers, gangsters, kill people, bad stuff. I mean, it wasn't like they didn't take the trash out that night kind of rebellion. We're talking about like they really were bad. Like bad capital. Be bad guys. Get radically saved. Get radically saved, and God transforms them. That's the harvest God wants to bring in young people. And I'm looking for, and I'm believing God, for an army of young people to be leaders. Servant leaders. Wholehearted disciples that believe that God wants to move in your generation in a mighty and powerful way. So now, enough of that. That's the background. Chapter 1, verse 1. Like I said, we only got a few verses in, in the last Service, So that's probably as far as we'll get today and we'll pick it up next week. In the second year of King Darius, so it looks like Cyrus is dead. In the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Shatiel, governor of Judah. So he is a, he's a political leader. And to Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak, the high priest. He's a spiritual leader. Stop right there. This book is written to two groups of people. And the first category is leadership. God is speaking through Haggai to pastors today. And I believe even to political leaders. If, um, if we were standing before Governor, I mean uh, Congressman Doug Lamborn. Doug was going to be here, but he's still in Wyoming right now. Um, so I was texting with him today. And he's watching, so, hey, Doug. Um, I'd say, Doug, I am saying it, Doug, this is for you. If our mayor was here, I'd say, this is for you. If Governor Polis was here, Governor Polis, this is for you. President Trump was here, President Trump, this is for you. This is for political and spiritual leaders. Because leaders are thermostats. Y'all know what a thermostat is, right? If that thermostat's hooked up to the heating system and you turn it to 80 degrees, it regulates the heat flow to get it to 80 degrees. If you want it to be 65 degrees, you turn it down, you get 65 degrees. Some of us in this room are 55 degree liters. And some of us in this room are 95 degree liters. So when you look at your family, men and women, and you look at your kids and you bemoan the fact that they're not walking with God or whatever their temperature is for spiritual things, the real question to ask if they're 18 and below is, how hot are you? How hot are you as a leader? Because if you're kind of mamsie, pamsy you know, and you sit on the couch all the time, you're a couch potato, and you do your church thing on Sundays. By the way, there's 168 hours in a week. And you do your hour and a half at the road. Or are you living for Jesus all through the week? You carry Jesus to work with you. You've got Jesus in your marriage. You guys pray together. You as a couple pray together. Maybe you bring the family together and you guys pray together. What you're doing is you're messing with the thermostat. You're messing with the thermostat. I want to challenge you to mess with the thermostat. And don't turn it down, turn it up. We need a rebaptism and a refilling and a refiring of the Holy Spirit. It is Pentecost Sunday. And some of you have never been filled with the Holy Spirit. Some of you have never gotten saved. You've never truly given in your life, Lord. And you're a church goer occasionally when your parents make you come. But you know, you're a church goer, but you're not a Christ follower. Going to church doesn't get you to heaven any more than going to McDonald's makes you a hamburger. So church should be a reflection of a desire and a passion in our life to worship God because we love Him, right? So this book is to leadership, and he starts off with that. Verse 2, and now we get into the crux of the problem. Thus says the Lord of hosts, saying, This people says, Oh, the time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built, Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses? And this temple lies in ruins. Now, therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. So when the Samaritans came and began to challenge them, when the secular government came and challenged them, they quit. How many of you have felt like you've heard from God at some point, you feel like God's spoken to you, and as you step out with something, soon as opposition comes, you go, well, maybe I didn't hear from the Lord. No, God didn't say that. God really changes his mind a lot, doesn't he? Especially in charismatic churches. I mean, he's always, oh, God said. And then as soon as it gets hard, no, I don't think God said. And then God said, and then, oh, no, I I got this other thing. He said, said, that sounds like the opposite of what you said a month ago. I know God wants me to do this. And God's just really schizophrenic up in heaven. He's just walking around going, hey, do this. Oh, you don't have to do that because I know it's going to be really hard for you. Guys, anytime God speaks, it gets hard. Look at your neighbor and say, when God speaks, say that, and I listen, and I obey, it gets really hard. It gets really hard. Okay, say this. If it's easy right now, but I'm a wholehearted disciple... It's about to get really hard. But you'll love it. So I like to fly fish. I like to get in the river, and I step off the bank, I go down in the river. Fine, no problem, fly fishing, doing my thing. Then I go a little deeper, right? Many a time, my wife doesn't like to hear me say this because I don't tell her when it happens, but there have been times when I've gotten in it too deep, it's going too fast, and whew, I head down the stream a little bit, okay? And I tighten that belt up so it doesn't go down. I haven't drowned yet, as you can tell. Well, maybe you can't tell, but I haven't drowned yet. But um, so one time I was in Estes Park. I'd gone up there, and I was fishing, and I hooked into a really nice brown. I'm fighting this brown. I'm about this deep. And this brown, and I like to fight him for a long time because it's just that's what you do it for. I mean, why just pull him in and net him? I mean, let's have some fun with it. So I got a little too fun. On this one and it jumped off a waterfall and it's like that big I mean it's a nice brown he goes whoo and I go oh no and all I can think about is all the fish I'd caught just before that on that same fly and it's the only one I've got and I'm thinking he's gonna break my line or she's gonna break my line and so I go stepping down the waterfall to keep fighting it down and whoo I go out my feet go out from under me starts taking me down the stream I'm holding my rod up here and I got some position, got in place, I net it, and I went, yeah, I wish somebody had videotaped it. <laughs> I mean, it would have gone viral. I mean, it would have been so cool. Here's my point. Don't get in the stream if you can't swim. Don't try to catch fish if you're not willing to go over the falls. So I'm warning you. God's on the move. And God's going to fill this church with young people getting saved. And it's going to be God-orchestrated chaos. But it's actually kingdom order. Do you know when God creates chaos, it's actually kingdom order? You read Acts 2, Pentecost? That's pretty weird. That's a pretty weird story. Think about it. These guys are just minding their own business. They've been fasting and praying, seeking God. And then these tongues that look like fire come down on their heads and they all start speaking in tongues. And they're like looking like they're drunk. Because Peter has to say, you think we're drunk. We can't be drunk because it's, it's, a, it's the third hour. It's 9 a.m. You can't be drunk at 9 a.m. So listen, God's chaos is kingdom order. God's chaos is kingdom order. And so there's going to be some weird stuff happening around here. But that's what God wants to do. And He wants to bring a great harvest. And I believe He's saying to us, buckle up. Let's go. I want to get in the river. I want to catch some fish. But I know I need to learn how to swim. So train me, show me how to swim. And we're going to train you, we're going to equip you. It's going to be exciting.